0: Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Podcast. This is The Act Out, Season 1, Episode 7, Miles Francis. If this is your first time checking out the Podcast Network, please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast. And with that said, on to the podcast hey everybody welcome to the act out from open mic to the big stage comedians tell us stories that were made today i have a very special guest this guy is a friend of mine first of all okay an amazing comedian freaking rocks <laughs> he's awesome on stage has one of the best stage personalities you will ever see period done he's got a show coming up on november 30th at seven thirty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh it's miles francis miles how are you doing sir dude better now thank you for that intro that Absolutely. was very very sweet yes. i uh i love you man so i'm excited to do this with you i love podcasting with you in general and hanging out and the fact that i legitimately almost wore that shirt and remembered that you also own it and mm. was like i just have a feeling can't, I can't do, do it, can't do I, it tonight. I totally
0: wore the simpson shirt in honor of miles thank you uh, one of
1: miles biggest bona
0: fides, if you will is his podcast the best darn diddly which has 7 billion episodes at this point. Been going since 2016. Yeah. We're definitely going to get into talking about it, but if you're not checking it out, you need to go listen to it now. Best darn diddly every other week and
1: then best darn everything
0: the week after. So, a little bit mixed. We just up. make
1: it up as we go to be honest. There's no real schedule, but we put something out every week. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right, let's talk about the beginning. Where are you from? Oh, dude, I'm originally from Huntington Beach, California, but I like barely live there. But I do think it like hyperimposed on my personality growing up just because I, I moved a lot and I always knew I was from California. So I think that's why you get a lot of the dude attitude from, from me all the time <laughs> that you guys call me out for. But uh, my dad was, or both my parents are actually military. And then my dad immediately went into the railroad, the Santa Fe Railroad. And then Because they like merged with another railroad, like we moved all over the place. And I've been in North Texas in the DFW area since like middle school, basically. All right, right on.
0: So you showed up here about what ten years old, eleven years old?
1: Yeah, almost like I think maybe between eleven and twelve. If All right, I remember, cool. right? Very cool. When you were going through puberty, about, through dude, super awkward time to come meet a bunch of people for sure. i miles. Oh. Also, only child, so like no frame of reference for what's normal uh, to this day. Because we're friends, so I don't have anybody in my life to uh, guide me, direct you in yeah. any way that
0: would be in a normal way. Uh, so you show up here. Were you into comedy before you get here? Or is that part of the story? Like, were you entertaining kids when you were meeting them at first? Or how do you kind of get into it?
1: Man, to some aspect, like, I've always known that I was at least somewhat funny. And I've always enjoyed getting that spotlight. And that was one of the only ways I could get that spotlight when I was younger. But I've loved stand-up comedy and comedy in general since I was a little kid. Honestly, I I probably started listening to comedy younger than I should have. Because my first comedy album that I ever heard was Chris Rock, Born Suspect. And I was probably seven, maybe eight when I listened to that. And dude, And They are like talking about the mayor of DC doing crack. I didn't know what DC was, I didn't know what a mayor was, and I didn't know what crack was. But I knew that I was laughing because Chris Rock was inherently funny. So I've always been a fan of comedy, but it actually it's something that happened on the podcast that was really cool that, that inspired me to finally try it. Because I was always a little bit, like I wanted the attention but then I'd get kind of shy and awkward about it and I didn't know how to deal with that. And it was actually a Simpsons writer I had on the podcast who told me about her experience doing improv comedy that basically just like spoke to me in a way where as soon as I got done with that interview that day that was that was probably in 2017 ish uh, maybe 2018 basically the moment I got off that interview with her I was like on Google looking up where I could do improv comedy because she just talked about how meaningful it was and that was really the step I needed to take because doing improv Gave me the confidence to fail on stage, because I'm sorry, y'all, but that's basically what most improv comedy yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but once you get comfortable failing on stage, dude, stand-up is actually really easy. This is not that hard of a job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I never thought about that. That's unique to think of it that way, because you're right,
0: because in improv comedy, you'll say something you think is hysterical or in the moment, and it doesn't land. And it's just like, okay, we're moving on. It's the next thing, so yeah. So you have to
1: listen. You have to listen so much more. I mean, you still have to listen with stand-up, of course. I mean, like you have to pay attention to what's happening in the room or you know what what what's going on around you in general. But yeah, in improv, it's definitely more of a like almost like a safety net because you don't have to generate your own ideas on stage or draw from your own ideas on stage. The whole concept is try to draw off of the people around you, so you. It also means that like when you when you succeed, it's cool, but not as cool with stand up. But also when you fail, it's easier because you got, like seven people with you. It's like, oh, we're still friends, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it worked out that uh, when you're on stand-up, of course, you're you're by your by yourself. Oh, and you take it so personally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always tell people though, it's like the highs and lows, because I, I you know, <laughs> the analogy I use, you might have to bleep this. I don't know. The analogy I use is like doing improv comedy is like smoking drugs, but like doing stand-up comedy is mainlining that stuff. It's it's just <laughs> mm, so much. (laughs) Much better and worse at the same time. (laughs) The highs are amazing, but the
0: lows are devastating. Yeah, but that's a great analogy. So before 2017, you weren't doing any stand up or anything.
1: No, the first performance at all that I really recall doing like, in, I, I, like well, I, I did sales. I honestly, I was a jewelry salesman for a long time. And the truth of that is that was just me acting. That was just me putting on a persona because I, I thought the whole like the entire time I'm in the jewelry industry, I'm like, wow, these people pay a lot of money for shiny rocks. I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> but thanks for your money. Um, so I guess like to some extent, being a salesperson is an aspect of, of the, you got to be able to create that persona. And that way to interact with people, but no, I didn't. I didn't do anything until I started doing a podcast. Real random, dude. I uh, I went to a wrestling event. I went to a WWE show at the American Airlines Center and I'm sitting at the train station after the show. I went by myself and I'm just riding the train home and there's just this other dude sitting there and uh, and we started talking and he happened to run a podcast and he invited me to come be a, a guest on it. It was called Lucha of the Hidden Temple. It was a, a wrestling podcast. It's now long defunct but it, this was back in like 2016-ish. He ran this Lucha of the Hidden Temple which was again a Lucha Underground review show and he invited me. He's like, you watch wrestling? I'm like, love wrestling. You watch Lucha Underground? Love Lucha underground so we, we just chatted about it and that was actually my introduction to podcasting and through that experience I'm like you know what I could do this and it just so happened I was friends with somebody on Twitter who was a podcast pr- uh the producer like they would be the people who would like set it up and whatnot and he was like I want to start branching out from doing just wrestling shows to I want to do like cartoon shows or sitcoms and i had grown up on the simpsons and my best friend richie tressler the Wiz kid if you will who's my co-host on the podcast he what's up richie what's up rich him and i had constantly throughout being roommates and friends throughout the years we always were the type of people to do the simpsons quotes at each other constantly or the simpsons references and you you speak the language you know how like how it is with simpsons fans there's just certain things that always get talked about and Long story short, we're like, you know what, we could do a podcast and the real easy structure is to just go episode by episode, which I don't (laughs) think anybody had ever done until they did those FX uh, marathons Uh that they used to run occasionally. But that's a that's a tall order because there is now like seven hundred ish episodes of The Simpsons. Aren't you almost halfway through? Well, no, because they're gaining. Like we're catching up slowly, but like ultimately they're still making episodes. episodes. So I mean, we're getting closer to halfway there. But we're at the tail end of season thirteen right now. So we've gone through twelve full seasons and most of 13. Along the way we've had, like, I tried to count the other day and I think we've had, like, 11 different Simpsons writers on the show. I hate to name names because like, there's a lot <laughs> that of them. motorcycle, that... too, <laughs> was oh, on right. the show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that through the headphones. Well, I so. mean, th-
0: you had showrunners, too, haven't you?
1: Yeah. Uh, we've had some really big guys. Uh, honestly, the, the one I'll say right now is Al Jean, who still currently is the showrunner of The Simpsons and just, like, a, a living encyclopedia of The Simpsons, but but probably because of the story I told you, the one that's most meaningful to me will always be Carolyn Omine, because without that conversation where she so passionately talked about how improv set her life on course to what she wanted it to be, and in some degree, I mean, I'm nowhere near as successful her, as her, and I, I, I'm nowhere even close, but I hope to be one day. I hope to be able to afford a motorcycle. That's that's what I'm hoping to get out of comedy, is I want to go buy that guy's motorcycle one so I can write it, and two so I doesn't make noise during this. That's the that's the new goal. Thanks, improv. Uh, I'm sitting there going, I'll edit around it, and then you just threw it in there. I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> this is gonna be great. I'll say that that's another thing I'm gonna talk about improv. Which uh, there's like a war. I'm I'm sure you're aware of it. There's, like stand up comics always make fun of improv comics, Everyone and improv does, yeah. comics think stand up comics are assholes. They're not necessarily wrong. Right. Um, And neither are the stand-ups. They're both equally like correct, but it's this weird divide, and I will say that I think both sides could easily learn some lessons from uh, the other, essentially, because there's so much about improv that helps me when I'm on stage doing stand-up, which I barb prefer uh, mm. but sometimes you fall back on those those old instincts of improv and it's really makes these wonderful moments that you can never you know purposely recreate but there's a famous quote I can't remember who said it I'm going to go with Conan O'Brien or possibly <laughs> Stephen Colbert uh, it's somebody on that level for sure and basically, the gist of it is that everybody's always trying to create these perfect moments, but the mistakes are where the gold happens. Yeah. And like when something goes wrong, and you address it, and you find the funny in it, like a for instance, a motorcycle douche like <laughs> driving through your podcast, like that's... right through the showroom. He was on stage for a second. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It's like that dude in Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think it's Meatloaf or whatever. It yes. comes out. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we're dealing with here at the Addison Improv today. I
0: mean, you just you, you roll with it, though. I love that. Like gotta you said, go with it. I Man. I've never heard anyone say that either. I love that. The mistakes are wonderful. You know what I mean? And and, and so you must, at the same time, I've seen you on stage uh, at a f- all stage. the time. Oh, there no, I go. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, we were at an open mic and no one was there. And you're like, I'm just going to ramble about Batman, The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, yeah. Or The Dark Knight Rises for five minutes. <laughs> and then you did. And I was just like, what is he doing? And he's just, I mean, I don't disagree with the man, but
1: you were just like, I'm here. And, you know, I'm going to use the stage time to just have some fun and... And do that. But I think it stretches. When I do that, I think I'm just trying to stretch because, like, I mean, there's always room to improve the jokes that I do have. But, like, those mistakes that can happen, like when you decide to go on a, a rant about why one of the Batman films is worse <laughs> than the others, that you can create, you know, these opportunities for something organic to happen. And sometimes that's where the, the good stuff comes from. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Dude, I'm just your philosophies are blowing my mind. I love it. I Uh,
1: wish I could apply them better. I'm not
0: successful. No, no. (laughs) Well, you are successful. You have a show coming up. You work. I do. You have multiple shows coming up. Dude, I'm I'm
1: being very cruel to myself, self-deprecating right now. I've been very fortunate in comedy. I've uh, literally, dude. I'm coming off a week this week that I've had a show every single night this week, and I've got two on Saturday, and I'm I'm stoked about it. But the big news, by far, the one that I'm most excited about because they put my picture bigger on the poster. I'll be real, (laughs) uh, is the. No, it's the November 30th show. Uh the the showcase that we've got right here. It's gonna be awesome. I get to do like all of my material, which is always really, really fun. I get, you know, to to really stretch myself on those longer sets, which is comics. I mean, sometimes we're we're lucky to get six or seven minutes if we're we're really grinding out there. So, you know, to be able to do 25 is uh is gonna be fantastic. Hell yeah, dude. Enjoying this episode, go check out Geekster, a dating and friends app for geeks that focuses on common
0: and as a way to make meaningful connections. Download today on the App Store or click the link in the description to find out more. Geekster, this is what happens when nerds collide. Geekster, available on iOS and Android. Well, let's back up a little bit. I want to know what it was like the first time you went to an open mic. What was that experience like? Were you scared? Did you drink? You don't really drink that much, do you? So.
1: I don't drink a lot. I definitely have a, a. I usually drink a well drink or two while I'm at an open mic, uh, partially because I do enjoy casually drinking, and also part of the whole open mic concept is they're trying to drive business. Yes. So I'm, if yes. I'm in a position where I'm able to buy a drink, I will just to you know keep that kind of circle going. My first open mic was weird. I'm, uh, it's it's kind of cheating almost because I was. I can say a, a competing place that doesn't exist anymore. It was Dallas Comedy House. Was where <laughs> I, uh, they're closed down now. It's fine, improv. Don't worry about it. Uh, they're no longer going to hurt you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so it was at Dallas Comedy House where I had done all of these improv classes and, and performed on like the house improv teams. And the place is sh- getting shut down, and we all know it's coming. And it's very emotional for the people that were there at that time. because It's absolutely in not even that like closed of a secret it's pretty open that dallas comedy house did not have a comedy club they had a cult they had a yeah. cult of improv people who like bonded in this weird way and i was at a place in my life where that was useful for me i needed that so like i bonded with this strange family of weirdos that played pretend on stage and when it was closing it was becoming like this pretty big deal essentially and i had told one of the people that that owned it like i was like man i've always really wanted to do stand-up comedy which is true I was just – I never felt confident that I'd be able to do it. Like I just was sc- – and also it's like literally the one thing I ever actually really wanted to do, which makes it even more terrifying if it didn't go well. Right. I'd be like, man, the one thing I thought I could be really good at, and I suck. <laughs> and I do suck sometimes. Don't get me wrong. I suck a lot. But uh, sometimes I'm decent, and that's good enough. But, yeah, so long story short, Kyle Austin was the dude that – uh He literally, after an open mic, at the very tail end of an open mic, it's like the last one they're ever going to have, he goes up to the host and he's like, hey man, and this is the owner's brother, so like he's got some pool, but goes up to the the person running the mic and is like, hey man, can I get somebody else bumped on the list? And he's going to try to get me up on the stage host straight up tells him no. (laughs) He's like, nope. I'm over, already over time. I'm putting this stuff away. So he's like, all right. I'm not going to argue with him. And Kyle's like, just come have a drink with me at the bar. And we go out to the bar and we collect a couple of people who had had like expressed the same desire. He waits for the host to leave. And then he goes in and he just sets the whole thing back up again. No. 100%. There was about six of us that night, and we all did an open mic for each other. Oh, and like, that's it was so cool. a super improv thing because it's like, no matter what, guys, we're going to clap for each yeah. other and laugh and a total yes anding each other in a stand up set. But even with that kind <laughs> of like, uh, I don't know, that's like a methadone hit, I guess. Mm. <laughs> like, it didn't really count, but like, It got the seed planted. Yeah. That was, I don't remember what night of the week I was. I think that was Thursday, which meant I had to wait all the way to like Sunday or Monday to do it again. But the very first real mic I hit was actually at a chocolate shop slash wine bar in Uptown. Way different experience because I went in thinking that, you know, it was a seven minute set and I'm thinking, no problem. I'm going to be able to cover that. I was out of material in three, maybe. But I was very proud of myself because I didn't get off. So, I, this is probably looking back. Uh, I was probably being a total asshole. All the, all the like experienced <laughs> comics were probably like, oh my god, this guy. But I did fill my time. I didn't like run off. Like I didn't like run out of material and be like, okay, thanks, bye. I just kept talking to people and kept trying to find things that were funny. And some of it was, and some of it wasn't. But uh, I have it. I still have it recorded to that's this day. That's freaking awesome. Yeah.
0: That, that's so awesome that and that you didn't have that fear of being like. And the improv probably helped that too, where you're like, well, I'll go here and go there, and what I'm thinking, and then will kind of go, do you do a lot of crowd work? I've never seen a lot of it.
1: So I don't actively seek out crowd work. I'm not somebody that is trying to create crowd work, but I'm also not going to steer away from it, assuming I'm in the correct role. Because you're well aware, if I'm hosting a show, they don't want hosts to interact with people as much as possible. They just want you to stick to your material and leave that on the table for uh, your your headliner, you know, features or whatever. But I don't seek it out, but if some if I'm at a bar show like last night, dude, I did I did a, a show last night in a military town at a bar literally called Foo Bar Uh, so it's like way down like near Austin and it was just this wild redneck crowd and some things happened where like you know people would talk to me from the crowd and I'm not going to ignore that I'm going to absolutely have a if if somebody feels so strongly that what they have to say in the front row is important enough to interrupt and say out loud in the bar then we should absolutely discuss it and decide if it is or isn't you know maybe there's going to be some gold in those mistakes and maybe it'll just be like all right, I shouldn't have talked to you (laughs) moving on Uh, I made a
0: mistake. Yes,
1: I chose poorly.
0: That's so awesome. So hosting the first time, when you got the gig, how far into, you've been doing this for what, uh, five years then? No, No. man.
1: I've only been doing this, uh, it'll be four years in March. So four years you've been doing this. Mm -hmm. When was the, you got through your first hosting gig, about a year in? two years? Pretty early, actually. I got into hosting pretty quick. And that's largely just because, again, I was very comfortable with a lot of the things like the the improv background and the sales background both make me very comfortable in a position where I have to be the face of something to present something. And being a host is usually, again, this is going to very much depend on the venue and whatnot, but being a host is often a completely different skill set than being a comic just be in that you have to be moderately funny but legitimately a lot of places don't really care that you're the funniest person in the room they don't expect you to be because they've got other comics in those slots. they just want you to be able to get the names of the people right get the announcements get the sponsors get the bar specials whatever whatever it is they want you to be likable and presentable they don't want you to necessarily be the most hilarious person and that's a that's a different skill set that I brought with me from doing other things in my life, like being a jewelry salesman, or doing improv comedy, or hosting trivia nights, which is another gig I, I do sometimes, yeah. Think, things of that nature.
0: So how about featuring? What was that like?
1: Featuring was exciting. Like that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like for the most part, like I, I would I would say you know there's this weird stepping stone pattern. But the show that I'm headlining on the 30th is a what's considered a showcase show, and that's definitely a step down, maybe even two, from like a weekend ho- show mm-hmm. where you'd be. Headlining—that's where you have your big name draws. Of course, I want to make it very clear. I'm saying that out loud for the audience. I'm not trying to explain how a comedy club works to a person that works here. Hey, hey, it's uh, fine. Le- let me mansplain the situation <laughs> to you real quick. Doc. I'm sitting here, <laughs> Roll Miles. I know Miles. Yeah.
0: I know I've been here for a while Jeez. but no, like, no, I, love
1: it. I, I just feel like that needed to get said because I don't want to let you know, I'm a headliner like that's very different but I do consider myself to be at a level where I'm, I'm a very very strong host and a very capable feature and I really like doing both being a feature is straight up more fun because yeah. you just get to come in and play you don't have to have anything going on in the back of your mind you're not worried about you know how you pronounce the headliner's name if you forgot or if he had credits that you know you're supposed to say or whatever you just get to come out and and be funny and play with the crowd a little a little bit and and have have a good time so being a feature oh, is yeah. incredible first time i got to feature is for someone who just left us here in the dfw scene dan danzy mm-hmm. Wishing him best of luck up yes, in pennsylvania dan. have fun with the snow <laughs> he's gonna freeze dude. He's, <laughs> he's, he's not meant for he's cold not, weather he's not i don't large. know what he was thinking he needs so tiny <laughs> he's gonna have to eat so much more but uh yeah he, he was uh, the first person i was able to feature for during one of his his headlining uh weekends and it was a super super great experience really fun at that time, I was very much stretching to fill, fill that time slot, but I've gotten, you know, better and more material since then, so it's getting to a point where it's just becoming very fun and not really, it's not a stressful event anymore, it's just a fun time. How would you describe your style of comedy? It is observational, but it's very... Uh, the best way to put it, like, your
0: stage presence is, I think, one of the best things about you, is you bring this friendliness to the stage. Like, you could be anyone's best friend in the room. You know what I mean? And you bring, like, this energy that's just super relaxed, super calm, and then you tell these hilarious jokes. How would you describe your stage presence and, and where Dude, that I, comes Dude, I'm just really high the whole time.
1: <laughs> I'm not actually that chill. I just stoned as fuck. Excuse yeah. me. How did man. I get on the stage, man? <laughs> man? This is where I park my car. <laughs> no dude, uh honestly, I'm not too far off from I'm a little louder and I'm a little bit more bold and I'm a little bit more uh focused on me than I tend to be in real life on stage. But uh those are all qualities of myself. I'm a very friendly, outgoing person. I told you I met a dude at a train stop and ended up on his podcast. Yeah, That's how awesome. this whole thing started. Yeah. I mean, I like to talk to strangers. I know you're not technically supposed to do that, but I find that to be a pretty interesting way to uh, learn some cool stuff and and find some cool stuff. But as far as humor type goes, I agree. Observational for sure. A lot of self-deprecation. I grew up with uh, <laughs> yeah. a lot of, I, and it's still, I still struggle with things like body image issues. Had an eating disorder when I was younger. I grew up super fat, got bullied. These are all things I talk about on stage, and they're all 100% true. Some of them are, of course, very exaggerated and some of them just take a weird turn because i got bored and thought it'd be more interesting this way but everything i talk about on stage comes from some degree of truth about myself and some experience that i've had with something along the way so back to the podcast how
0: do you get people from the show on like and i know
1: the answer already but how do you do it just get so lucky dude uh to some degree it's pestering I I was always very careful to not overdo that, but it's all through Twitter. And I know Twitter is a changing landscape right now. I'll be honest. I know Elon Musk bought it. I don't really know what that means or why it's changing or like why people seem to think I should delete it and whatnot. uh, And I don't use it nearly. Do we have dishes being done? The ghost, man. (laughs) It's the ghost of the improv, bro. He's just chucking stuff. This podcast is so bad they're (laughs) going to start throwing (laughs) plates at us uh, from a motorcycle. They found
0: (laughs) tomatoes somehow and just (laughs) start chucking them. So pestering, you said. Uh, Yeah. uh, so uh,
1: it's old, old Twitter is what it is. As I I was on Twitter, this would have been like I said, 2016 ish. Uh, well, still am, but you know that would have been the time that I was mostly making these contacts. And I I would reach out, I would interact on Simpsons Twitter, just hashtag Simpsons or the Simpsons, or you know get on while the Simpsons was airing live on a Sunday, and people are just ch- ch- chatting about it, and I just kind of interact and. Sometimes the voice actors, sometimes the writers, sometimes various producers or people that are involved in the show are actively in those conversations. And I was able to strike up a conversation. The first one, and again, probably the most meaningful person I ever got the agreement to come on the show was Carolyn Omine, but she made me work for it, dude. Carolyn played hard to get because, like, and I, I love Carolyn enough. She's like the sweetest person uh, and so fun to talk to. But she straight up told me, and good for her for being just honest about it. She's like, I would love to do this. I won't be available till at least, I think she said, like, November. Oh, at the time. like wow. It was like, it was a long time out. And I was like, cool, Carolyn. I'm going to touch base with you occasionally, but I won't bother you until whatever date you said. And that's exactly what I did on Un- on certain dates, you know, like a big Simpsons episode come out or something. I'd be like, hey, congratulations on this episode I didn't tell her if I enjoyed it or what I did or didn't like about it. And being like, I'm looking forward to our conversation in a few months. And then I did that a few times along the way. And then that date came along and I reached out. And I'm like, hey, uh, you still down to do the show? And she's like, yep, but... I got busy again. It's not gonna be for another month, and this one for a while, man. Wow. This went on for a while, and I just that we just kept that relationship, that Twitter conversation going. And uh, I was always, you know, extremely respectful of her time and her just being gracious enough to even offer to come on the show. But eventually, it happened, and she came on. We talked for literally like almost three hours. Wow. And something I'm really proud of, actually, is that not only have I had Simpsons writers on, I've had multiple Simpsons writers on more than once, meaning that they had a good enough time the first time they agreed to come to it again. And that's always been my goal from the start of the show. Whenever I told Richie the first time we we're getting a guest on, I'm like, I don't really feel like we need to be the world's best interviewers. Like, Ducky Wenzel's already going to no, have no, that title. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but <laughs> I, uh, I do think... That we need to just create this fun environment, this, this this show concept where, like, they're going to be treated as, like, a friend who also loves The Simpsons because – all the Simpsons writers are Simpsons nerds. Like, yeah, like absolutely. 100%. So uh, before Carolyn ever came on, I think I ended up having, like, two different writers. But I'm, I hate that I'm going to miss somebody. And they, they've they all, like, all the conversations I've had with these guys have been so incredible. But, like, Mike Price has been on multiple times. Mike Reese has been on multiple times. Carolyn Omina has been on multiple times. Then Al Jean was on twice. Yeah, just a lot of, uh, a lot of really cool people. And, you know, I also should shout out, uh, he's an author, actually. And uh, he's not on social at all, so you have to work to find him. But his name is Matthew Clickstein. And I met him because I read his book, which was an oral history on Nickelodeon, the kids' oh, television so cool. show from, like, the 80s and 90s. The book blew me away, and I just reached I, – I actually wrote him a review on Amazon, and he reached out to me and thanked me, and then we started a correspondence. I ended up having him on my Simpsons show because he's a big Simpsons fan, and he ends up being the co-author of Mike Reese's book, Springfield Confidential. Oh, wow. So whenever he got that job, he put our podcast on the media list, and we got, like, early access books and we got access to Mike's schedule to come and promote the show and or I'm sorry promote the book on the show and man like Matthew is such a cool dude uh he's he's made movies he made a documentary about Mark Summers called On Your Mark Super cool, super That's fun awesome. watch. And he currently like the thing that he just I just got an early release copy of it. Actually, it's like a book just in time for Hanukkah, and it's like 101 things about Jewish culture, like like a Jewish encyclopedia. Even features Krusty the Clown as a celebrity Jewish person. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude. So yeah, he he put he's put me in touch with a lot of the Simpsons people. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, everyone, it's just Duck jumping in here
0: real quick to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you're enjoying it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash We Are Podcast. And with that, back to the podcast. All right, let's switch gears. I want to talk about something I saw recently. I no longer about you, Miles. It's (laughs) about this thing I saw. I don't like this (laughs) guy. (laughs) So, I went to see The Evil Dead Ah. musical, and Miles definitely wasn't in it. No, it was wonderful. Miles was in the play. We do a podcast together called Camp Slash Horror Cast, so if you guys want to check it out, that's totally cool. But Miles brought so much energy to that cast whenever he joined into it, and it's been awesome. And so, like, I feel like you've been there since the beginning. But you bring like this, like positivity, and like you're always quick to
1: crack a joke and tag something. So it's so cool. But I, I love that podcast, man. It's, like I, I feel the same way. Like in terms of like, I feel like just more fulfilled since I joined the podcast. Like I've always loved horror movies, and it's so good to find people, even when we disagree. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that we can have such a deep conversation about these silly, you know, arguably very silly films. Uh, but man, they're fun. So we went to see the play. It
0: was me, Jay. Will and uh, Dan Danzi. Dan Danzi. That's right. And wow, what a fun time! And somebody was the show stealer. I don't know who this guy was. He was up there. I saw his dick. I'm not even joking. That, <laughs> when you rushed out with your pants down, I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> there it is. No, it, it gotta was, love community theater. It was it was so cool, dude. You were st- definitely you stole the show, Thank like uh, the whole thing. What was that experience like? Have you
1: been in other <sighs> plays, or is this the first one you've ever done? No, dude, not at all. Uh, th- first of all, the whole thing was incredible. Like, from the getting to be, like, very close with the rest of the cast and, like, this kind of, like, group friendship that we've we've developed, it's really, really fun to be a part of something like that. That's something that kind of exists in comedy, but not not to this degree. to answer your question, though, no, I've never been involved in theater, like, not since I was in, like, second grade or something when everybody (laughs) has to be. Honestly... I, uh, I was not confident enough in high school just to do the things that I wanted to do. I did the things I felt like I was supposed to do, so, you know, things like play football when I hated it and, you know, just being involved in the, the stuff. <laughs> Bang chicks. You know how it is. <laughs> This is yeah. total. <laughs> oh, this is awful! Why am I doing? No, I, I definitely wanted to be doing that, but wasn't able to for a while. Uh, it's fine. We got there eventually. Um, <laughs> uh, but I what I, honestly, like in hindsight, looking back, I I would have been a much happier youth if I had gotten involved in theater younger, and and I think that would have also pushed me to be more comfortable in things like stand up comedy from an early age. So I, I got there eventually, and. For the most part, I'm happy because I got to have a lot of life experience that I feel like I'm able to draw from now that I'm entering this world versus when I was a kid. You know, what am I going to talk about that's interesting to anybody? But long story short, I was actually kind of feeling in a rut uh, doing stand-up. I'm grinding every night, and I still am, and I I still love it. Don't get me wrong. Not that I didn't love it. It's that I felt like I was getting stagnant on stage. So... It just so happens that I see a ad for an audition for Evil Dead the Musical, which I didn't even know was a thing. I love Evil Dead. Yeah. had no idea that they made a play about it, let alone a musical. Immediately, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And if I just go to an audition... And I sing in front of people. That's going to feel uncomfortable, and that's going to feel weird, and that's going to feel really good because sometimes it's good to feel uncomfortable on stage. Like it'll just make you go to different places or whatever. Just get get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's that's something I'm always striving to do on stage. So my thought is I'm going to go audition for this part, and I'm not going to get it. I'm just going to have to sing in front of people, and it's going to be weird and fun or whatever. (laughs) Not only do I audition for a pretty small part, but When I auditioned for it, they're like, no, we don't see you as this person. We see you as Scotty, who is like Ash's best friend, like one of the bigger characters in the show, has a much larger part, has like dance numbers and singing and whatnot. And they end up casting me and putting me in every show as this character who is so much fun to play. Like, I I, I had an absolute blast, but it definitely, like, I guess I kind of put that out in the world that I wanted to challenge myself and make myself uncomfortable. And boy, oh boy, (laughs) did I get my wish because suddenly I'm doing rehearsals multiple times a week. I actually had to do, like, I had to take like three weeks off from doing stand-up comedy. I barely did. I think I snuck in one open mic in that time just because between rehearsals. And show dates and just trying to, you know, practice and get, get good enough to do this. It took up a lot of time, but it was so, so much fun. I, I had a lot more fun just being funny in the first act uh, that where it's more acting. My favorite part by far, I got to do a duet with Ash called... I'm going to have to censor it, but the title is What the F Was That? <laughs> uh, it's my favorite part of the show by far. We do a song and dance together. It's kind of based on the tango. It was, it was really cool. Then I lead, essentially, at the end of the show, I was leading what would be compared to the Time Warp from like Rocky Horror Picture Show, like the big, fun dance number with everybody singing and dancing in line, and I was Literally the front and center, which was so funny because on the day that we first started doing that run through for the choreography for that, my music director had us all like close our eyes and then we rated ourselves a one through five in dance ability. And I rated myself a zero. (laughs) And then we opened our eyes. He's like, well, you rated yourself a zero, but it doesn't matter because you're front and center on this dance number. Everyone else, I'll put you according to your ranking. Oh, no. uh, but it, it was great. Like it, we, you know, it got got to a point where I was actually having a good time. I I never felt comfortable dancing like that, but through practice and great choreography and great direction from our music director and things like that, it really. Um, yeah,
0: dude, it's shocking to hear that because you killed it so much in the show. And like, like I didn't even think about that because like you dance. Awesome! So you're a great dancer, uh, <laughs> but but i never not once did I think about it. my favorite thing though was when you you died and you yeah, had was fun, whatever
1: was in your hands. I guess it was tissue paper. Or, it was know, kind of... so it's supposed to be my guts, but it was a, a great combination of glycerin, shredded paper towels, and just mostly water and red food coloring. Yeah, dude, and you chucked it at the audience. Yeah, multiple and, I times. and
0: I couldn't help but to feel you were chucking it at us specifically. <laughs>
1: nope, you just happened to be in the splash though had nothing to do with me.
0: What a fun time, though. In the Splash Zone? Dude. Oh, that's so great. Jay was just like, they're targeting me. They're targeting me. I'm like, bro, they can't Obviously. see you. Oh, I could see
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly where you were. Honestly, there was one on the last show I had some friends that sat in the, they weren't in the Splash Zone at all. They weren't anywhere near where we tarped it off. They were literally in like the corner side stage. But I knew they were there, so I'm on one of those scenes where I pop up multiple times and keep dying and flinging guts. I literally pop up, turn over my shoulder, and, like, fling it straight back there. Because I'm like, it's the last show. What are they going to do,
0: fire me? <laughs> That's freaking awesome. All right, back to comedy. I'm not good at segues. <laughs> um, what is the weirdest show you've ever been at? Like the one that just went off the rails or just crazy or had an experience with an
1: audience member? <laughs> there's That's almost uh, impossible just because they're all so weird. But yeah. there's definitely one that stands out at the now defunct Hat Tricks where I hosted an open mic for a, a long time. Pre, pre-pandemic, excuse me. We had a, a long-running open mic out there and we decided to start booking shows. But the owner of that bar was just a weird dude. And I'll even say this. Every person who ever hosted that mic, when they passed it on to the next person, they always said the same thing. This is an incredible mic. The only thing that sucks about it is having to deal with the owner.
0: <laughs> Which definitely
1: is a shutdown now, so it doesn't matter. We can talk crap about them. But, uh, uh, but if
0: they were still open, best guy ever.
1: No, honestly, I, you would never hear that come out of my mouth. <laughs> never once in my life. But this show in particular, he wanted to book a, a hypnotist. And he wanted us to open the show for this hypnotist. And he wanted me to book the comics and put it together. But he had, like, almost no—he was paying with drink tickets, which is very common in these yeah. things. But it makes it hard to get anybody of any talent. But I did put together a talented lineup. Some really—honestly, I, I got some people out on there that, like, are now, like, recording albums and stuff. Oh, so wow. looking back, it's actually pretty dope. Uh, honestly, I'll, I'll even shout her out. Ruth Banks was on get that it, show. Ruth. And Ruth Banks' uh, album, Screwed, comes out, I think, on, like, December 12th, yes. which you should totally go and download because uh, Ruth is great and she's really funny. And she performed. She hosted here mm-hmm. this last weekend. Yeah. Anyway, I, I plug my friends because uh, I... Hope they plug me one day. That's that's all that is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you got Ruth on the show. I had
1: a, I had a, a lineup of younger t- of, of you know newer comics at the time, but they basically say anything goes, it's fine. So I booked these comics who are nervous about filling their time because they're all doing longer than they ever had in the past, and uh, but they can say anything they want. And this <laughs> this owner comes up to us literally right before we're about to walk on stage, and he's like, "Hey." I don't know what any of you guys are planning to say, but none of you better say anything messed up that's going to have these people walking out of here. <laughs> like, like, Some of these comics are like deer in headlights just like, <laughs> uh, uh, what am I supposed to do? All my materials about my dick. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was bad, and then like he just did weird stuff. Like the, I mean, it's a hypnotist, so it's, of course it's going to be a weird crowd. But the owner at one point like is just like up on stage, standing behind the comics, watching, which was super awkward. Uh, it it was a weird time to be alive in comedy. <laughs> so the show didn't go well, or I mean, people got hypnotized. Yeah, they uh, got what they were advertised for. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting.
0: Fair enough. All right. What advice do you have for people starting out? Like, we've talked, like, because I'm starting out, but what advice would you give somebody? My advice would be to look at myself and be like, oh, wow, his life's a mess. Don't take, don't take advice from this guy. <laughs> no, you've got great advice, dude. We went open micing, and in the car, you told me a bunch of different stuff that totally resonated with where I was. You were like, maybe don't do this, possibly do this instead. You know what I mean? You were giving me great advice, so
1: I, I will follow you. You, you tell me That's, where we this will go. This is terrifying. I feel like I'm running like the least successful cult in the history of cults. It's <laughs> just me and you, Miles. Let's, let's drink, do this. Let's drink the monster, dude. all right. All right <laughs> the Kool-Aid, baby, baby. There we go. Uh, it was actually not Kool-Aid. It was uh, – oh, my God. What was it called? aid. No, it wasn't. It's was the cheap one. Rite-Aid, maybe. I think it was ri- – Rite-Aid. No, aid. no it, something not Kool-Aid. It was off-brand Kool-Aid. Just to be very clear for the <laughs> deaths that occurred, that's the important part that we need to focus on. When they last drank, we need to know. Um, <laughs> uh, advice I would give yes. legitimately – is the easiest one is is just to be yourself, which is so cliche. But like you just said, I told you not to say things or, or to say things. I probably, and I hope if I didn't, I should have caveated that. Like if you want to, you should say whatever you want. You ultimately have the stage time and the microphone. You have freedom of speech and you have the ability to speak your mind. So say what you want to, but just be aware that All those things can be true and there can also be consequences for your words. So depending on what you're going to choose to say, it's going to turn people's opinions of you one way or the other. So you should be cognitive of that. But outside of that very cliche advice, I think the best thing that I have ever learned from comedy is that, and this is actually true for all performance arts. This goes to Evil Dead. There's times when I messed up where as, as long as you ring true to this concept, if you are in any performance arts, it doesn't really matter how well you're doing. It matters how much fun you're having because to some degree, of course you need to be moderately funny to be a comedian and you need to be moderately good at acting to be in a play and you need to be a moderately good singer to you know perform a song. But ultimately, if you are having fun, the audience is going to want to have that fun with you. They're going to recognize like, oh man, this dude's having the time of his life. I want to be at the party with him. That's going to win people over far more than writing the most perfect joke and nailing the execution on it every single time. Time. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's people that do that, and they're incredible, and they're hilarious, and and that works for them, and I'm happy for them. But I am never going to write the smartest joke of the world (laughs) and say it perfectly because I'm going to stutter, or I'm going to slip up, or I'm going to bite my tongue, or or whatever. But I will be having a great time if you give me that microphone and give me a crowd of people to talk to. Absolutely,
0: absolutely, dude. You're so much fun to watch on stage. Thank you, man. You really are. You have, like I said, you bring people in. Like the second you get on stage. You make it your space, and then you bring people in. That is an incredible talent to have. A lot of comedians draw that barrier. They like the lights. They like the bubble that's up here. But you just seem like to be talking to, like, like I said, one of your best friends or something like that. So it's really fun to watch.
1: I like it when people like invite me to their table so I can like munch on their two-item <laughs> minimum or you know get a drink out of the situation. Can I get some of those nachos? <laughs> yeah, just move the lights down to table three, yeah, please. We're good. <laughs> uh, what's your writing process like? How do you do it? I should write more, uh, which is (laughs) is always a thing. The truth is, it's just, it's things that experience largely i mean they just they either legitimately happen the way that they are or or, like i exaggerate them slightly and realize how funny they can be this is a weird confession but i do a lot of my like actual writing in a bathtub yeah because i am super adhd and i love taking hot baths like it's one of my favorite things but like it's almost like a sensory deprivation thing for me because i'll have my ears under the water and i'll be in like a hot like bath of water and it just allows me to focus my thoughts and i have you know my phone so i can translate these concepts or these observations that I've made that I I usually will just write down a few words about like while I'm going through my day and I can go through those lists and I can kind of think to myself like oh uh, what could be funny about this or like you know start trying to actually write it out but I'm definitely somebody that figures it out a lot on stage like I don't think any of my jokes are ever perfectly crafted whenever I, I write them I think that they're largely a decent joke that needs some trimming and some hat-cutting for certain, and I usually do that while I'm on stage at an open mic. I'm trying to see if I have, like, a list of words that, like, would be, like, a good example for for this.
0: Motorcycle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, if something, for sure, like, we can definitely add that now, but, uh, like, I literally will just, like, write these weird, okay, here, I'll, I'll, this is the most uh, recent list that I made that I they have no joke written yet but might one day if like you know if I ever make it to be on like one of these comedians on your wall maybe we'll have one of these jokes but a uh, musical theater polyamory divorce new girlfriend love love on ecstasy sleepovers the fart barrier <laughs> and the inner circle none of those are anything but they all could be
0: yeah that's awesome so you you set up like a giant bullet point and you go this is where we're gonna begin and then you work it out and then you like you said you work it out on stage for the most part so and you're on stage all the time. Like, you are, putting, you are putting in the work to do so. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Where do you want to be with this?
1: Man, that's a great question. In five years, I should probably be somebody who's thinking more about the next five years. That's going to be my first step. Mm-hmm. I don't fully know. I think I want to go try it in New York. Yeah. that's That's been in the back of my mind to some degree. Partially just because I'm in a place where I kind of want to change the scenery and whatnot. But the truth is, Dallas is a great place to do comedy. Yeah. I, it really is. Like... I don't know the actual statistics, but I believe that for the most part, LA and New York are always going to be number one and number two. Like they just, they, they are too far ahead to be caught up on. Right. But I think you can make a strong argument that number three is not defined. Like there is a lot of cities with some great comedy happening that could be listed as that third. It could be Chicago, for instance, it could be Atlanta. People have made the argument for Austin. I think for sure, no doubt, Dallas is on that list of of cities that is a great place. You're right. I am on stage a lot because if I'm not getting booked on a show, there's an open mic here six days a week. Yeah, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Making me think, I need to go back out there. You should. Uh,
0: I think we've talked about everything that I usually
1: talk about on this, and and it's been It's been awesome, dude. No, man. This has been a great conversation. I really love talking with you all the time. We get to talk about horror movies uh, on Mondays, which is always a good time, and it's super fun just to get to talk about myself because I enjoy that, too. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite subject, let you know. No, dude. I appreciate you being here. The show is going to be November
0: 30th at 730 here at the Addison Improv. Everyone get your tickets now. Come out and see Miles. It's going to be an amazing show. If you had to sell it, you have to do a drop. Look in the camera. Sell the show for the
1: people. It'll be like this, but better. <laughs> Perfect drop. <laughs> that was awesome.
0: <laughs> I can't use that. <laughs> Dude, I love you, bro. Love seriously, you. Thank Seriously, you. Thank, you. thank you so much for doing this. Miles Francis rocks. Everyone, Try that again without the... Uh... Uh, yeah, Miles Francis freaking rocks. Oh, My bad. It. Y'all, support local comedy in any way that you can. Please support local comedy. And with that said, we'll see you on the next one. And there it is. Thank you again so much for checking out the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other podcasts here on the We Are Podcast Network. We have, we are Begoo, a video game podcast where we talk Atari to Steam and everything between. That's me and Dr. Ethan Eastwood breaking down all that video game lore and having such a good time. Heroes Gero's A Dungeons and Distractions side quest. Me and the boys were playing some D&D. You can start that one from season one, episode one. It's a blast the whole way through. And I hate being sober. Personal stories from epic people. I sit down with some of my favorite people of all time. We talk about their trials, their tribulations, and their journey this far. And finally, our new live video podcast camp slash horrorcast where we're going to have a roundtable discussion about our favorite horror movies that'll be available on twitch and youtube streaming every monday at 8 p.m check the links in the description to find out what movies we'll be watching also check the links in the description for our social media you can find us at facebook instagram and twitter at backslash we are podcast network with that said thank you so much for checking out the podcast today please remember to support local comedy in any way that you can we'll see you next time